This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Robert Feldman? First, I'll look at the background of this case, move to the timeline of the crime, and offer my analysis. Robert and Stacy Feldman lived in Denver, Colorado. Robert went by the name Bob. The couple met when Stacy visited Montreal, Canada, which is where Bob spent part of his youth. He was about six years older than Stacy. He was born in 1964, and she was born in 1970. The couple married in 2005 in Montreal. They would go on to have a daughter and a son. Bob worked for a meat distributor. Stacy stayed at home with her two children, but eventually had to go to work because the family was tight on money. Bob did not have any ambition as far as his career. Stacy's friends described him as dishonest. Throughout the years of being married to Stacy, Bob had multiple extramarital affairs. He used the internet to find a number of casual lovers. Stacy discovered the infidelity, and the couple argued. They separated a few times. Stacy contemplated divorce, but Bob was always able to convince Stacy to stay with him by promising to change and through other manipulation tactics. For example, he convinced Stacy that she would be financially destitute if she left him. Bob continued having affairs despite all of his promises. On February 23, 2015, Bob went on a date with a woman named Susan McBride, who he had met on Tinder. She described him as likable and nice. Bob initially told her that he was divorced. Bob said that his last name was Wolf. Susan searched online and managed to find Bob's profile on LinkedIn. She discovered his name was Bob Feldman, not Bob Wolf, and that he lived at the same residence as a woman named Stacy Feldman. Susan realized that Bob was still married, and she told him not to contact her anymore. Bob repeatedly called Susan and asked for an opportunity to explain. He claimed that he was using a fake name because somebody was stalking him. He claimed that he and Stacy were separated, but lived at the same address because they couldn't afford two separate residences. Susan accepted this explanation and agreed to meet Bob again. A few days later, Bob and Susan met at her residence and had dinner. Afterward, they had sex. 
They made plans to spend time together over the upcoming weekend, but when Susan contacted Bob, he told her that he would not be able to meet her. Susan did not have any more contact with Bob after that because he stopped communicating. Susan searched online to find information about Bob's wife, Stacy. Bob had told Susan that Stacy was an absentee mother, yet Susan was able to discover that Stacy was the president of a parent-teacher association. Susan felt bad for Stacy and decided to send her an email with all the details of Bob's behavior. Susan and Stacy also spoke on the phone. Stacy was clearly not happy with Bob's behavior. She indicated in an email that she was done with him. Now moving to the timeline of the crime. The conversation between Susan and Stacy took place on March 1, 2015. On this same day, Bob Feldman called 911 at 3.21 p.m. He told the operator that his wife was not breathing. The operator gave him instructions on performing CPR, but Bob didn't seem to be out of breath, at least not based on what the operator could hear. Perhaps Bob was not performing CPR. The paramedics arrived in just a few minutes. They attempted to revive Bob's wife, but there were no signs of life. 44-year-old Stacy Feldman was already dead when the paramedics arrived. The paramedics felt as though Bob was being overly dramatic and not cooperative. He did not want an autopsy to be conducted. The police questioned Bob about his activity that day. Bob said that he left the house at 8.30 a.m. to drop his two children off at a religious school. Stacy was supposed to pick up the children at noon and take them to a carnival. When she didn't show up, the school called Bob. He drove to the school, picked up the kids, and took them to the carnival. He never bothered to determine why Stacy did not show up. Bob said that he arrived home at 3 p.m. and found his wife in the master bathroom shower. The water was still running. Bob pulled Stacy out of the tub and called 911. Bob could not remember if Stacy was face down or face up when he found her body. The police examined the scene. There was no evidence of a struggle or forced entry. On the bottom of the bathtub, there was a washcloth, shampoo bottles, and a metal wire shelf, which was used to store some of the shampoo bottles. On the edge of the bathtub, there were other shampoo bottles, which were not disturbed, and there was a towel neatly draped over a bar on the shower door. Stacy had over 80 injuries on her body, including a number of bruises and abrasions on her face, nose, arms, and abdomen. She also had a chipped tooth. The police thought that maybe she sustained these injuries when Bob pulled her out of the bathtub. Stacy was wearing a gold and silver watch on her wrist, one that the police thought was too fancy for the occasion of showering. Stacy also had two fentanyl patches on her body. Stacy had a number of medical problems and had been injured several times in her life. She had chronic neck pain and rheumatoid arthritis. She fell off of a ladder and broke her ribs. She was involved in a skiing accident, and the night before she died, she slipped on the ice. Bob told the police that Stacy had consumed food products containing marijuana at a party the night before she died. Perhaps this led to her death. An autopsy was conducted. It took two months to get the results. The medical examiner said that Stacy's cause of death was undetermined. In addition to the medical problems they already knew about, Stacy had hardening of the arteries and an enlarged heart. There was no fentanyl or marijuana in her system, which was unexpected considering she had fentanyl patches on her body, and Bob said that she consumed 
marijuana products the night before. The police asked Bob to tell his story again. He changed some of the details from his original story. Originally, he said he left his house at 8.30 a.m. and returned at 3 p.m. In his revised story, Bob said that he stayed at the school for a little while after dropping his kids off. He attended a service. The school told the police that there was no service that morning. Bob said that after leaving the school, he went back to his house to clean the garage. This was at about noon. The police had already documented that the garage was not clean on the day of the murder. Bob said that he went to a park to exercise after cleaning the garage, yet it was cold out that day. There was snow on the ground. People who knew Bob said that this behavior would have been out of the ordinary. After the school contacted Bob to tell him that Stacy did not show up to pick up the children, it took Bob an hour to get to the school. If he was in his garage or at the park, it should have taken only a few minutes. Despite Bob's suspicious modifications to his original story, the police did not have enough evidence against him to charge him with murder. Bob went on with his life. He collected $750,000 in life insurance and went on a spending spree. Bob attended a grief counseling class and met a woman named Stephanie. They talked for a little bit, and she gave Bob her phone number. Several months later, Bob called her looking for a date. Stephanie went to his house. Bob told her that his wife died of cancer, which of course was not true. Stephanie said that after they went swimming in Bob's pool, he committed an assault of a sexual nature. After the attack, he told her that she could scream, but nobody would be able to hear her. She reported the attack three weeks later. Bob denied Stephanie's allegations, and she never pressed charges. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day. At sax.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On June 11, 2015, Susan McBride contacted the police. Susan is the woman who warned Stacy that Bob was lying and having an affair. Months after Stacy died, Susan searched online and found the obituary indicating that Stacy had died on March 1, 2015, the same day Susan spoke with Stacy on the phone and told her that she had sex with Bob. This information didn't look too good for Bob. Stacy just happens to die on the day that Bob's lover contacted her. In addition to this bad news for Bob, the police found a physician who examined the autopsy report and concluded that Stacy was strangled and suffocated. Bob was arrested on February 13, 2018, and charged with first-degree murder. He was released on bail. Bob did not let being charged with murder slow down his social life. He continued to date and would regularly ride his bicycle in the area. 
He was not supposed to leave the house except for certain activities. Riding a bicycle was not one of those. Bob even rented out his pool to make some extra money. In the spring of 2022, Bob was finally tried for murder. He was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The jury only deliberated for less than three hours. Now moving to my analysis. Was Robert Feldman actually guilty of murder? Let's take a look at the evidence both for and against the idea that he was guilty, starting with the inculpatory factors. Stacy Feldman had about 80 injuries on her body, including bruises and abrasions. The injuries were not adequately explained by her being pulled out of a bathtub. Stacy was wearing a fancy watch in the shower. She was wearing fentanyl patches, but no fentanyl was in her system. Bob said that she went to a party the night before she died and consumed edible marijuana products, but no marijuana was in her system. A physician hired by the state testified that she had been strangled and suffocated. Bob did not appear to have conducted CPR. He did not want an autopsy performed. The paramedics said that he was overly dramatic and interfered with their ability to render aid. He was crying, wailing, and staying too close to Stacy's body. Bob changed his story about his activity on the day Stacy died. He lied about staying at the school in the morning, and his story about cleaning the garage and going to the park did not make sense. Why did it take him an hour to get to the school when his house was only five minutes away? Also, when his wife failed to pick up the children, why didn't he investigate? It did not appear as though anyone else was involved in Stacy's death. For example, there was no evidence that anyone had broken into the house, and there was no evidence of a struggle. Stacy died on the same day that she was contacted by a woman who had sex with Bob. It stands to reason that Stacy confronted Bob about the allegations of infidelity. Bob had a long history of being unfaithful, manipulative, and was accused of being sexually aggressive. Bob collected $750,000 in life insurance and did not appear to be that upset that Stacy was dead. Now moving to the exculpatory factors. There were no witnesses to Stacy's death, no video, no physical evidence connected Bob to Stacy's death. The medical examiner testified that the cause of death was undetermined, so it's not even clear that a murder occurred. Stacy was not in great physical condition. She suffered from a number of medical problems and appeared to be accident-prone. For example, she fell off of a ladder and slipped on ice. Sometimes human beings die from circumstances which are mysterious. When considering all the evidence, do I think that Robert Feldman was guilty? Yes, I think he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. There are definitely some doubts in this case, like the medical examiner saying that the cause of Stacy's death was undetermined. But here's how I look at this. It was nothing about the shower itself that contributed to Stacy's death or explained the condition of her body. If she had drowned in the bathtub, the medical examiner would have figured that out. It was clear that she did not die from hitting her head, like her death was not caused by falling in the shower. Being pulled out of the shower would not have caused her injuries. If Bob said that he found Stacy in some place like the kitchen, the bedroom, or the living room, he would have been arrested immediately. Bob managed to confuse the police with a story about the shower. But again, the shower story doesn't explain how Stacy died. It appears as though the police believed that a person was more likely to die spontaneously in the shower than anywhere else in the house. This is the myth of the killer shower. 
The police and the medical examiner looked at a body that had been beaten and thought to themselves, well, she was in the shower. What kind of shower experiences have these people had? If standing in the shower can cause 80 bruises and abrasions, maybe it's time to select a less violent shower head. Before purchasing a shower head, it's important to check the box for the non-lethal designation. Sometimes they are simply labeled death-free. That's just as good. I wonder where this fear of showers comes from. There are a few possibilities. The movie Psycho featured a murder in a shower. People are generally more vulnerable in the shower because they're not wearing any clothing. And of course, there is the famous episode of Seinfeld where Kramer struggles with the Commando 450 showerhead. Moving to the next question, what is my conceptualization of this case? This is just a theory, my opinion. Robert Feldman was a manipulative, sexually aggressive, and impulsive individual. He was able to appear outgoing, friendly, and charismatic on a short-term basis. He had superficial charm. Bob repeatedly had affairs, but Stacy was too afraid to separate from him. She had envisioned her marriage as the realization of a dream and did not want to give up on it even after it transformed into a nightmare. When she married Bob, she felt as though she was getting too old to have children. She settled for someone undesirable in order to have a family. She may have had low self-esteem and didn't feel as though she could easily find another partner. On March 1, 2015, Stacy confronted Bob because of the information she received from Susan. Bob was used to being aggressive and getting his way, but this argument was different. Stacy was at the end of a rope. She was going to divorce him. In the heat of the moment, Bob decided to murder Stacy. Bob knew that he was in trouble after murdering her and tried to think of some way to stage the scene to make it look like he was not the killer. For some reason, Bob thought of the shower as a dangerous area, like a place where somebody could spontaneously die. Bob removed Stacy's clothing but forgot to remove her watch. It may have been that he disposed of the clothing somewhere. This could have been why he told the police that he went to the park. He was worried that there may have been a witness or some video camera may have picked him up, so he wanted to make sure that he could explain why he was out of the house. He, of course, didn't want to say that he was disposing of evidence. Bob put fentanyl patches on Stacy's body and made up the story about the food containing marijuana. He was throwing every possible cause of death into the mix, hoping that something would satisfy the police. Bob went to pick up his children and discovered Stacy upon his return. Amazingly, Bob was initially able to get away with the murder. He continued dating a number of women and may have committed other offenses until finally being convicted of Stacy's murder. Bob did not have any empathy, therefore he did not know how he was being perceived by others. He didn't realize that his behavior made his lack of caring clear to everyone who was watching him. Now moving to my final thoughts. When a person selects a spouse, they are always giving up something they want. Everyone has to settle on certain areas. There is no such thing as a perfect spouse. It is really a question of what characteristics or lack of characteristics are mandatory versus optional. Like when a person is thinking about what they want or don't want in a spouse. Repeated infidelity is one area that should not be acceptable because it is associated with selfishness and a sense of entitlement, which cannot be removed even by using the most powerful showerhead. 
This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.